coined the phrase, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. In other words, when you're under attack, when your life is in danger, people tend to pray. People tend to turn towards God, even a God they're pretty sure isn't there. In fact, that particular chaplain went on to say to his troops, actually, that shows us God must be there because he's the one to whom we turn when we're in trouble. Not sure it's as simple as that, though, is it? Because for all of those men and women who maybe did turn to God and have turned to God in the face of war and of suffering, there are many who equally turn their backs on the possibility of a good God, a loving God, who has given us a world that feels so broken, so disparate, so blown apart. I remember meeting a man called John, uh, must now be about 17 years ago, uh, when I was a reasonably new curate, and I took the funeral of his wife. And I used to go and visit John every now and again. He lived not far away from me, and uh, I got to know him fairly well. And John had been a tank commander in the desert in the Second World War, and he spoke of his experience of having to pull the charred remains of his buddies out of burning tanks. And he said to me, one of my first visits, I didn't bring up the subject of religion, that wasn't my job. It was to be there and to care for him and to listen. He said, you know, that was the day I vowed I'd never pray again. It's not so simple, is it? There are no atheists in a foxhole And yet, at the same time, we look at a world that is broken and torn apart by wars, not just a war or two wars, and by conflict of so many different types. And we ask the question, how should we, how can we pray in such a world? It's our series, isn't it? This term, looking at what it means to find connection with God, what it means to pray. And today, of all days, it seemed appropriate that we ask the question, how can we pray, how should we pray in a world that is so brutally destroyed by, affected by, broken by conflict, by suffering, by difficulty? And I was drawn to these verses in Revelation 21, even before I stumbled across that film online that made the explicit connection, because for me, this particular set of picture language as John tries to communicate, um, as he does throughout the book of Revelation, uh, just a little bit of the sense of what he saw and heard and experienced as God sort of pulled back the curtain on the reality of this world. That these verses, for me, help frame and help underpin my prayers in the face of a suffering world. And the first reason they do that is because actually they remind me that prayer is meant to be real. It's meant to be out of a place of reality, realism, not whistling a happy tune, simply hoping it's all going to go away. The Bible is actually bluntly, brutally realistic about the state of our world. Doesn't pretend everything's nice and rosy. Doesn't pretend that actually everything simply gets better the moment you pray. Doesn't pretend that faith makes everything okay. It says to us, here you go, right in front of your face, right in front of your nose, it's really hard, isn't it? The first readers, the first hearers of the book of Revelation knew that for themselves. Some of them were persecuted, others of them lived in an incredibly um, hierarchical society, maybe up to 30% of uh, citizens in the the Roman Empire were slaves. Uh, There was wealth, but it tended to be concentrated right at the top of the pack, and many Christians knew what it was to live in a difficult and a broken world. 
That's why John writes about a world where one day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, where there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. We tend to get onto the fact of, isn't it wonderful those things are going to be gone? But actually, prayer begins in the experience of those things being present. Tears and death and mourning, crying and pain. A broken world. A world that's not as it's meant to be. The Christian witness is simply this. That when you or I bellow internally or externally at the brokenness of our world, we are doing something profoundly true and spiritually real. What we are saying is, this world is not as it's meant to be. This world is not as God made it. This world is not the gift that God gave to us. This is not what in heart and body and soul we long for. And prayer has to start there. It has to start with looking down to see where your feet are planted, to see where you are. One great Christian writer and leader said that Christians should be holding uh, two things, if you like, in their hands. One is the Bible, and the other is a newspaper. I guess maybe today we'd say a smartphone with BBC News on it. But whatever you want to say, that actually Christians are both meant to look at the world through God's eyes, the words of Scripture, and to be reading that in the midst of our everyday real lives, both the joy and the brokenness. Now, I don't know what you've walked into church with today, carrying in your own heart and in your own lives, but actually as we remember on Remembrance Sunday a broken and fallen world, we're allowed to scoop up, if you like, all of our pain into that place and to say we start with realism. That's where you stand to pray. What is real? But John doesn't leave us there. Neither, neither does God by his Spirit, because Christian prayer stands in a place of realism, but prays with the eyes of hope. A future that is promised. A future that is real. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with us, and he will live with us. We will be his people, and God himself will be with us and will be our God. That promise of hope. The future does change the present. I don't know whether you've ever watched a film a second time. Knowing how it ends changes how the middle feels. Or if you listen to a piece of music, even as the final resolving chord plays, it changes how the few chords before it feel. The future changes the present. How this world will be wrapped up. What will happen as God draws a line under history and says, it is done, it's over, it's finished. That sense of what that will be like changes about what this feels like now. If we feel that the end of life is simply a blank, or if we feel that life is simply spiraling downwards, or if we feel actually that it's simply all in our hands, then unless humanity can pull its socks up and sort itself out that actually we're toast, then it's a pretty dismal place to stand if you're going to be real about the realism of this life. But what John sees is a day when God draws a line under history. 
when God makes new that which he's given us. When he brings heaven and earth together. It doesn't sort of whisk us away like in a sort of uh, life raft or in a helicopter away from this horrible world, but somehow makes new all that is seen and unseen. When he does wipe away every tear from their eyes, when there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I think we feel this most deeply as children. This sense of needing to know what the future holds to make now okay. I don't know whether you remember the first time you sat in a dentist's chair or the first time you went into hospital, if you've been in hospital, uh, or the first time that something went wrong at home or wrong at school. The thing that anchored you in a place to be able to deal with the reality of life being quite tough at times was a sense of whether the future was going to be okay. Maybe it was a loving mum or dad. Maybe it was somebody else who was caring for you who was able to say to you those immortal words, it's going to be okay. And of course, as we grow up, we struggle with the reality that within this world, not everything is okay all the time. Those who lived through the great wars knew what it was to be told again and again, it'll be over by Christmas. It'll be over next year. Just a few more months, just a final push. We'll be there. They then looked back on the astonishing, mind-numbing carnage of years and years of war. And in the midst of that reality, John wants to say to us, I've seen it. With my own eyes, I've seen it. This is not a hope as in a whistle, a happy tune, and hope it might. This is hope as in I've seen it. It's coming. God will one day put all things right, wipe away every tear. Death itself will die. The gift will be life in perfection. If I pray... What I'm praying is that I will have a taste and our world will have more of a taste of the future brought in to the present. Some of you will remember from a few weeks ago when we were about praying, we were talking about praying for healing. We were saying that each time that somebody receives that gift of healing, whether we see it through medical intervention and or through the laying on of hands and of prayer, what we're seeing is a taste of that future hope coming right into the present. I don't know whether you watch TV sometimes and ever wonder how you might ever pray for that. I wonder whether maybe you've watched over the last few days some of the footage from the First World War and wondered how one might, in the midst of that, pray. Little me, with my little prayers, my that much faith. We pray because of the hope that is real. Praying that God, by his Spirit, will bring into the reality of our present the hope that is real in our future. And every time that somebody makes peace, every time that somebody is rescued, every time that somebody receives healing, every time that communities are mended rather than broken, each time families are put back together, each time that relationships are healed, what you're seeing and tasting is a little flavor, a tiny glimpse of the life of the world to come, made real here. And now, So we pray in reality, standing where we are. We pray with the eyes of hope. And finally, we pray with hearts full of confidence. See, God doesn't say to us, do you know, the world will be better one day, I hope. 
doesn't say, do you know, one day all wars will cease if you work really hard for it and elect the right people and do the right stuff. What he says is that because of Jesus, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet that basically say, I'm there at the beginning, I'm there at the end, I hold the whole lot together. Because of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, it is done. It's finished. This is not something... Juniors are coming to join us for our um, act of remembrance in a moment. Come in. It's not something that we simply dream of, think that maybe might happen. It's something we look to with sheer confidence because of the cross. Because Jesus, in his death on the cross, took into himself the very worst this world could throw at him took on himself the sin of the whole world. And in his death, death itself died. So when John writes, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, he's not just whistling a happy tune. He's seen the reality of it and he knows with huge and certain confidence the truth of it. So how might I pray? I pray with my eyes open to the reality of the world around us. Christians should be those who watch the news, read the news, know what the world is like, and pray in the midst of it. Secondly, I pray with my eyes full of hope because I see the world that God has promised to give us. And I pray with confidence in Jesus that by his Spirit he will bring into the midst of the reality of this world a taste a glimpse, the reality of the life of the world to come. One final nudge. Did you hear those words that said, to those who are thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. So he who overcomes, they will inherit this. A gift that is offered has to be received to be enjoyed. God offers to you and to me the gift of new life, the promise of a world remade, the gift of thirst refreshed, the gift of longing fulfilled. If that's something you long for, then actually you need to put out the hands of faith simply to receive it. If God offers you a gift, the right answer is, yes, please. Part of what we do today as we remember and as we look back is to say to God, yes, please, I need your peace in the midst of this broken world. Yes, please, because of Jesus, I need your hope and confidence. Yes, please, I need your transforming love at work in me. Yes, please. Can I invite you, please, to stand as we pray? We're going to pray using the words, God, give peace. As I say, may God give peace. Would you respond, God, give peace. So let us pray for all who suffer as a result of conflict and ask that God may give us peace. For the service men and women who have died in the violence of war, each one remembered by and known to God. 
May God give peace. God, give peace. For those who love them in death as in life, offering the distress of our grief and the sadness of our loss, may God give peace. Give peace. For all members of the armed forces who are in danger this day, remembering family, friends, and all who pray for their safe return, may God give peace. God give peace. For civilian women, children, and men whose lives are disfigured by war or terror, calling to mind in penitence the anger and hatreds of humanity, may God give peace. God give peace. For peacemakers and peacekeepers who seek to keep this world secure and free, may God give peace. God give peace. For all who bear the burden and privilege of leadership, political, military and religious, asking for gifts of wisdom and resolve in the search for reconciliation and peace, may God give peace. God give peace. O God of truth and justice, we hold before you those whose memory we cherish and those whose names we will never know. Help us to lift our eyes above the torment of this broken world and grant us the grace to pray for those who might wish us harm. As we honour the past, may we put our faith in your future, for you are the source of life and hope, now and forever. Amen. We commit ourselves to work in penitence and faith for reconciliation between the nations, that all people may together live in freedom, justice, and peace. We pray for all who in bereavement, disability, and pain continue to suffer the consequences of fighting and terror. We remember with thanksgiving and sorrow those whose lives in world wars and conflicts past and present have been given and taken away. They shall not grow old as they, we that are left, grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them. We hold silence. <laughs> 